Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I need a podcast. I'm holding up for a podcast till the end of the night. It's gotta be long and it's gotta be padded with crabs. Shit. <laughs> it's gotta be long and it's gotta be padded with fact script from a wiki website. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I prefer if it was padded with crabs. <laughs> See, now I'm going to have to leave the mistake yes. in. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? Um, I, I'm really good. I'm not padded with crabs, though. Although, <laughs> but uh, I can assure our listeners that today's show is indeed padded with facts cribbed from a wiki website. <laughs> and in two weeks' time, absolutely nothing uh, will be similar. <laughs> Have you been enjoying the lovely warm weather with your uh, extremely Mediterranean complexion? Oh, very much so. So. Um, we were away recently in this country. I put on three coats, and I'm, I'm, I deliberately use the word coat of Factor 50. Still burnt. <laughs> Sam, no sun cream, not a problem. <laughs> Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, new Clash Week. Indeed. So we continue our Album Clash Civil War season. Trademark Tim Parks. <laughs> and, well, it's ACDC. Yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's no um, Not much other to way say, to really. go into that. No, yeah, it's so just, it's, it's it hi- Highway to Hell versus Back in Black. Uh, I, I've, I've got a couple of other connections, uh, if, you, if, if you want. Sure. So they're both three-word album titles. Uh, the middle word in each case is only two letters. And they both have alliterative titles as well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, no, well, it works, and they are done by the same bands, so you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, <laughs> almost all the same band. Well, yes, and and that is very much why I chose these two albums in particular to go through because, as I said a couple of weeks ago at the end of our Abbey Road pod, uh, it's a really interesting period for ACDC. This, mm-hmm. so yeah. Before we get to that, though, it is time for Can't Get You Out of My Head. A few weeks ago, we had our first ever blank. Kev, do you have any shite stuck in your head? I don't know. I do. Thank uh, <laughs> so, so it is not our second ever blank. Uh, and I've taken a leaf out of, uh, out of yours and Sam's book and earwormed myself uh, by uh, appropriating shit pop music for simple household activities. Oh, don't worry. For my good song, I've, I've got something similar. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, we have recently got a dog in our household, uh, a black Labrador puppy. She's brilliant. She's doing really well. And a few days ago, it was, uh, well, it was time to groom the dog. She was filthy, so it was time to uh, bathe her. And um, obviously, when you're bathing a dog, you don't want to overfill the bath because, like, obviously, especially when they're only puppies, you know, but mostly because if you do overfill the bath, you'll get water fucking everywhere. Yes? Yes. (laughs) So I was running the bath and uh, Shell shouted as we were about to bring the dog in, how deep is it? 
to which I immediately started singing, How deep is your bath? Is your bath? How deep is your bath? I really need to know. So I absolutely knew that's where you were going. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think it's a bad song. I don't think it's a shit song. Listen, I'm not going to denigrate the entirety of the Bee Gees oeuvre. Uh, Clive Anderson can do that. Topical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't like How Deep Is Your Love, sorry. It might be the dreadful Take That cover version. Probably, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so that's me. Okay. What do you want to add to the... Uh, what's, yeah, what's your good stuff? What do you want to add to the playlist? So, uh, I would love to say that my uh, choice of something good is a heartfelt and thought-out tribute to a recently departed musician. But but it isn't. <laughs> it, it is, again, me appropriating a piece of uh, popular music uh, for something ridiculous. Go on. So Samantha came back from Aldi, and Aldi currently have a range of tapas, which I'm always uh, always a fan of. She came back with some... Uh, meatballs. Uh, uh-huh. For those for Spanish speakers not amongst you, that is uh, Albondigas. Yes, it is indeed. And I am a big fan of the Albondigas. So when I saw them, I then proceeded to sing Albondigas, 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 and so on. So it's not a tribute to the recently departed Andy Rourke. It is because I really like meatballs. So uh, hang the DJ by three good people and one fascist. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very good. Um, but isn't that song called Panic, by the way? It is actually Panic. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I, my mistake's staying in. Yeah, yeah. Lots. So I've got, I've got to keep that. <laughs> Very good. So you could actually have done that for a shit song as well. You could have gone Albondigas, 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 Oh, Albondigas. Come on, rock me, Albondigas. <laughs> exactly, there you go. Although that's not a shit song. It's an absolute belter. <laughs> Fair enough. We, we need to do some Falcon. <laughs> no, no. We no. don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm going to cheat and I'm going to put two songs on the playlist. And one of them is uh, a tribute to a, a recently departed uh, icon of the music scene. It's not a Smith song. Uh, I'll do the other one first, however. And this is one I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And Kev, it is right up your street. You will absolutely love it. So uh, the song is called Adderall, End of the Line, by the London uh, post-punk band Shame. Uh, it's from their third album, Food for Worms. And all I'm going to say, Kev, is it is Pixies-tastic. You will love it. Um, so I am aware of Shane's work, and I am a fan. Mm. So there you so, go. Yeah, very, very much a strong recommend. Uh, the other one I am adding to the playlist, and I know it's cheating for me to add to, but I've got to do this, really. So we are, what, a week, 10 days on from the sad passing of Tina Turner. Um, so I've got to put Proud Mary on the playlist, haven't I, really? Yeah, it's a belter, um, and it is certainly pre-Private um, Dancer, her most iconic song, yeah. really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Proud Mary's going on, uh, but Ike can very much fuck all the way off. Um, yes, and so can that um, right-wing head teacher who tweeted out a picture after Tina Turner's death of her and Ike saying, 
basically she's with him now fucking hell what okay that had completely passed me by jesus fucking christ wow she did delete it eventually is that that awful woman that claims to be the strictest head teacher yeah yeah fucking awful awful human yes (laughs) right okay shall we move on from cow and get you out of my head absolutely top trumps and i think this could be the first ever clean sweep i mean it's it's going to be it's going to be tough for, for you <laughs> yes uh so uh you won handsomely with abbey road a few weeks ago so it is your honor off you go okay so i'm gonna go with critic scores first because controversial just because i'm You're trying to add I some jeopardy see. into things yeah um all music five stars uh, ditto blender mm-hmm. five stars ditto the Rolling Stone Album Guide, five stars. Four out of five. Ooh. Mm. Chris Gow's Record Guide, uh-huh. B minus. No Chris Gow Record Guide score for Highway to Hell. Uh, so, uh, spoiler alert, guys, no Nobby McGee this week. He has not reviewed Highway to Hell. He's back in a couple of weeks. Pitchfork, 8.8 out of 10. I have no Pitchfork review. I've got Music Hound Rock. Uh, they gave it 8 out of 10. Uh, 5 out of 5, I've got. Okay. From Music Hound Rock. Classic Rock, 4.5 out of 5. Don't have a Classic Rock score. Okay. Uh, there is another one I want to read because I'm going to come back to this later on. Smash Hits. What? <laughs> Smash Hits. How do you think they scored Highway to Hell out of 10? Um, I'm going to go they weren't fans. Go on. Give me a number. Three? Correct! Three oh, out of wow. ten! <laughs> I will come back to that later. Uh, you've won, because you, uh, you, had, you had more full marks than me. So, there you okay. go. I've, I am in big trouble. All right. Um, I think I will go where I know that I'm definitely... Uh, well, actually, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with charts. Okay. So, number one in the UK. Number eight in the UK. Number four in the US Billboard. Number 17 in the US Billboard. I mean, I, I assume this is going to be the same for you. Number one in Australia. Uh, no, number 13 really? in Australia. <laughs> even the fucking Aussies couldn't be asked by uh, this early on. Well, it's not even early on. It's a sixth album. Nope. So, so my... I'd, have, I'd have naturally assumed it would also reach number one in Germany. Nope. Go number on. What th- did you get? Number three in Germany. So West Germany is my highest score. That's number seven. Poland, I mean, who knew that DC could get albums behind the Iron Curtain? But there you go, thirty-nine. Oh, I don't have a uh, Poland. I don't have any uh, chart positions for Eastern Bloc countries. Although uh, we'll come back to that in certification shortly. And also, as I'm going through the background to the album, there's a little bit from Eastern okay. Bloc as well. Right. Um, so I think you're two nil up, Kev. Yeah. Basically. Okay, certifications. Yeah, this is where I really unravel. It's gone well for me here. <laughs> I mean, so I'm going to read Highway to Hells first because they are impressive. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Seven times platinum in the US, five times platinum in Australia, twice platinum in Canada, platinum in UK, France, Italy, Switzerland, and gold in Argentina, Austria, Spain, and Poland. So that is an impressive list of accolades for this album. Mm-hmm. However, off you go. United States. 
alone. <laughs> 25 times platinum. <laughs> certified units, 25 million. <laughs> Did well. Yes. Yeah, 12 times platinum in Australia. Only two times platinum in the UK, 600,000. Germany, two times platinum. Yeah, basically everywhere. So to go platinum... Argentina must be up that list. They fucking love DC and Argentina. Three times platinum. Yeah. New Zealand, to go platinum there, (laughs) 15,000. Stop mocking the population of New Zealand. Look, I love New Zealand. I think it's a great country, but... (laughs) Um, yes, you don't need a lot of sales. No. Oh, God, it's 3-0. Or is it 4-0? No, it's 3-0. Uh, yeah, so I think... I mean, you've already done your sales in America. So so you said 25 million in the US. Well, Highway to Hell only sold 8.5 million, full yeah. stop. Which, which, again, is an, a very impressive total. Absolutely, but... Yeah, I just need like twenty five million. So, like, so there's, there's not many albums that are beating that. To be fair, the, the, so in, so in fact, uh, it, it, Back in Black is the third highest selling album of all time, behind Sgt. Pepper's and Thriller. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So awards. Yes, I think I'm in one outside shot here. None. Oh, or I've none, won one. Or none that yeah. I can find. Right. So, Highway to Hell. Nominated for a Grammy for the best hard rock performance, bizarrely in 1994. <laughs> uh, but I have, I have two, I have two wins. Uh, so uh, in 2009 and in 2011, Highway to Hell won the APRA Award for <laughs> the most played Australian work overseas. That's an actual award. Okay. <laughs> so I'm claiming that that's a win. Get in. Okay, I've got, I've got nothing. I've got exactly, nothing. <laughs> exactly. I've won. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, I think we're on to the last category, so aren't it's we? Lists, I, I believe. Yeah, I know. I've lost this one. Uh, yeah, it's so me first. Excuse, excuse me. I won the last one. It's me first. Excuse me. I was just catching my breath. How dare you? <laughs> Honestly, it's cock of the walk because he's already won this one. Unbelievable. Uh, right. Okay. So. The Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums lists. In 2003, it got to 199. In 2012, that had been downgraded to number 200, and it didn't make the list in 2020. Wow. Yes. Uh, So, number 73 in 2003, 77 in 2012, 84 in 2020. Yeah, so for the second successive clash, I have lost Top Trumps 5-1. That's heavy trouncings. It's doing nothing for my goal difference, that. Absolutely not. I mean, you are struggling now. I am. It's like, it's like it's like a point deficit. It's like an extra point deficit. They always say a bad goal difference, and that's where we are. Well, I mean, what you could do is you could get um, Allardyce in because you know he's <laughs> better than Arteta, Klopp, Pep. You know. Uh, I sent um, I sent our WhatsApp group a, a, a tweet from um, Colin Miller today which said, in his last five jobs, Sam Allardyce has the unique distinction of having a record in one job of being 100% win ratio and in another job of being a 0% win ratio. So, well done, Sam. Yeah, you know, it's it's unique to have that. It is indeed. Uh, anyway, we don't have time for this. Although this probably won't be as long as our, as our last couple of episodes. But, um, no, because, I mean, there is, there is background, but... Not as much. No. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. Shall I start taking us through Highway to Hell by ACDC? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, 
So, Highway to Hell, the sixth studio album by ACDC, released on the 27th of July, 1979, exactly two years before my birthday, on Atlantic Records, uh, although in their native Australia, it was on Albert Recordings. They licensed it to Atlantic Records. The album was recorded between December 1978 and April 1979 at firstly Criteria Studios in Miami, but mainly at the Roundhouse in London. And the album was produced by Robert Mutt Lang, uh, who would later go on to both marry and produce Shania Twain. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Although that don't impress me much. Hey! <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Right, okay, so as I just said, Highway to Hell was their sixth album. So they'd, they'd released five albums by late 78. They had toured Australia and Europe in particular extensively. They'd worked their asses off building up a following, but they'd never really made any headway in the States. So they went to the States in 78. They had, they had virtually no radio airplay at all, but because of the energy uh, and the ferocity of their live performances, they managed to gain a following in the States and get a bit of a foothold. Uh, at the same time as that, uh, their their recent live album, If You Want Blood, had got to number 13 in the UK charts, which was their highest charting position in the UK up to that point. And so I just mentioned that Atlantic had licensed the album uh, worldwide. Um, they had actually rejected the 1976 album Dirty D's Done Cheap for release in America, because it basically believed there was no way they could commercialise it. Uh, but it, it basically, having got this live following and got this bit of a buzz around them from, from having toured extensively in America through 77, uh, you know, record company execs being in no way cynical cash grabbers, uh, decided that now was the time to strike uh, and um, wanted to get behind ACDC, but only if they would work with a producer who would give them a radio-friendly sound. So every ACDC album up to that point had been produced by Angus and Malcolm's older brother, George Young, and Harry Vander. So when Atlantic said, yeah, you, you know, we'll really get behind you and we'll push you up on the States, but uh, these two ain't producing it, the band, particularly Angus and Malcolm Young, were a bit pissed off about it because they were basically having to sack their own brother, which I don't think I'd be that um, pleased with doing, to be honest with you. Unless it was um, Paul Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> how different definitely maybe could have sounded if Paul Gallagher produced it instead of Mark Coyle. Or how different... <laughs> <laughs> Release the Paul Gallagher cut. <laughs> That's definitely going on Twitter. Yeah. By the way, so I was gonna, I was gonna. Have you heard the abysmal um... "Love Will Tear Us Apart"? Oh God! Oh my it... God! Yes, I have. It's really, really awful. It's, it's so, so bad. It's, it's so bland. It's moribund, is what it is. Yeah, like a song with that kind. Of, I mean, all right, you've got the orchestration instead of the synths. Okay, like so that takes a little bit of the edge off. But the way he sings it is so it's flat. It's awful. It is really awful. Uh, and I was looking forward to Council Skies. Um, then I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, don't go and listen to Mel Gallagher's cover of uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. It's shite. Go and listen to the original instead. Yes, because it's really good. It is indeed. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay, so what have I just said? Yeah, they had to sack their brother. Um, initially, Atlantic brought in South African-born Eddie Kramer, who had done a lot of work as an engineer for Jimi Hendrix, but had also worked with the likes of Led Zeppelin and Kiss. Kramer met with the band at Criteria Studios in Miami, uh, but they didn't hit it off. They didn't get on very well. In Guitar Legends, Malcolm Young was quoted as saying, Kramer was a bit of a prat. He looked at Bon and said to us, can your guy sing? He might have sat behind the knobs for Hendrix, but he's certainly not Hendrix, I can tell you that much. ACDC's manager at the time, Michael Browning, recalled in a 1994 book, Highway to Hell, The Life and Times of Bon Scott. He said, I got a phone call from Malcolm in Florida to say, this guy's hopeless. Do something. He's trying to talk us into recording the Spencer Davis song, Give Me Some Loving, or I'm a Man, whatever it was. So, yeah, it wasn't going particularly well with Eddie Kramer. Mike Browning turned to the Zambian-born Robert Lang to step in. He had produced the Boomtown Rats, uh, and he'd also worked with a lot of punk bands, basically. In 1979, Bon Scott, in an interview with Ram magazine, said three weeks in Miami and we hadn't written a thing with Kramer, so one day we told him we were going to have a day off and not to bother coming in. This was Saturday and we snuck into the studio and on that one day we put down six songs, sent the tape to Lang and said, will you work with us? At which point Lang said, yeah, all right then, why not? At this time, they also fired Michael Browning as their manager and hired Peter Mensch, who had also worked with both Aerosmith and Ted Nugent. The hateful right-wing bellend, Ted Nugent. Yes, the very same. <laughs> uh, so, the recording proper commenced at the Roundhouse Studios in March 79. And basically, Mutt Lang worked the arse off ACDC in the studio. You know, they they fifteen hour a day sessions, seven days a week for over eight weeks. It was grueling. They worked songs, they reworked songs, they rehearsed, they recorded, they re-recorded, they went, they went, they went. And you would you would think that a a, a already fairly well established rock band would not take well to working in such circumstances. But no, they, 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 were, they were bang on board with it because, as I said, they'd been touring relentlessly for five years by this point. And so they're swapping a stage for a studio. They work. That's what they do. That's what they've always done. They've written songs about it. There's a fucking song about it on this album. It's the title track of the album, for God's sake. So, yeah, <laughs> they, 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 were, they were into it. Malcolm Young, in an interview with Mojo, said... Uh, Lang liked the simplicity of a band we were all minimalist we felt it was the best way to be he knew we were all dedicated so we sort of got it but he made sure the tracks were solid and he could just hear if a snare just went off uh, Angus Young in that same article said he was meticulous about sound getting right guitars and drums he would zero in and he was good too on the vocal side even Bomb was impressed with how he could get his voice to sound so one of the things that Mutt Lang did with Bon Scott was help him improve his breathing to help him improve his, his singing style. So in particular, when what there was one session they were doing, if you want blood, you got it. And Bon Scott was singing through it and he was struggling. He was basically gasping <laughs> at the mic and, and Mutlang calls into one side and says, listen, just fucking coordinate your breathing. Just slow down a bit. And apparently Bon Scott was like, well, you fucking do it then. You think it's so easy. And, and, and Mutlang 
did. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was one of the moments where they were like, "All right, this guy's this guy's onto something." Yeah. So Mutt Lang actually joined him with the backing vocals on some of the songs with choral backing vocals, like "Touch Too Much," for example, and the title track. And he even worked with Angus. You would think someone as established and accomplished as Angus Young would not need any help with how to play a decent solo. Uh, but no, there was uh, basically the, the, the main solo from Highway to Hell was sort of worked up together between Angus Young and Mutt Lang, sort of working together and going, you know, how about you do this instead? How about you do that there? So um, that, as I say, they were Bob on board. They sort of having completely rejected Eddie Kramer and what he was trying to get them to do. They bring this guy in, works the fucking arse off him, and they're into it, and they go, we're onto something here. And I'm going to say it now, spoiler, you can absolutely hear on this album that the work they put in pays off. Oh, God, they're tight. I mean, no matter no matter what you think about the songs or anything like that, is that you cannot deny that that is a band that is absolutely tight as anything. Yeah, absolutely. They have been worked. They have been worked. Although, since you've just said tight, uh, that's a ding, 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 klaxon alert. So our challenge, Kevin, is to review both of these albums without using any of the following phrases. Tight is one of them, so mm-hmm. you're already on one strike, I'm afraid. Uh, the others are gravelly vocal, chunky riff, and driving rhythm. Those phrases are banned. Uh, <laughs> okay. I I don't think I have the rest. I don't think I have them in my notes. Okay, <laughs> but peeling back the curtain a bit, I actually genuinely did at one point Google synonyms for tight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just 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 one more thing uh, regarding the title of the album. Atlantic basically really didn't want to call the album Highway to Hell because they thought it would generate a load of bad publicity. So Angus, in an interview with Guitar World, said, just because you call an album Highway to Hell, you get all kinds of grief. And all we've done is describe what it's like to be on the road for four years, like we'd been. A lot of it was bus and car touring with no real break. You call off the bus at four o'clock in the morning and some journalist doing a story, and he says, what would you call an ACDC tour? Well, it was a highway to hell. It really was. When you're sleeping with the singer's socks two inches from your nose, that's pretty close to hell. <laughs> um, that's about it on background. Yeah, so I've got nothing to add. Okay, Kev, when did you first hear Highway to Hell by ACDC? So, me dad was always into DC, but I have to say Highway to Hell wasn't... It wasn't until a bit later that I, that I heard it. In a couple of weeks' time, I have a different tale to tell, but certainly this one, it was sort of early 2000s um, when, oh. I, when I first uh, heard it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, my dad very much not <laughs> into ACDC. Uh, I first heard Highway to Hell in 1998. The reason I know it was 98 was because of two things. Firstly, the title track of this album was the theme tune to uh, that year's SummerSlam. Ah. With the main event. Uh, so, it was, the SummerSlam was at Madison Square Garden. The main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. Uh, and also, it was around then I first saw Empire Records. And uh, If You Want Blood, You've Got It is on the soundtrack to Empire Records. And I love Empire Records. So, okay. basically, off the back of those two things, I was like, I need to fucking listen to this album. So, that's when I first heard it. Fair enough. Okay. Should we talk about the artwork? 
Yeah. So the artwork that the majority of our listeners will be familiar with is just, it's pretty plain, isn't it? It's just a picture of the band. Bon Scott's got sort of like devil horns. And you've got the band logo and just the title Highway to Hell. And there's, there, sort of... there's like a devil's tail like down near the bottom as well. There is. You're right. There is a devil's tail as well. And it's a bit nondescript, I would say. Yeah. It, given the title, you. but obviously knowing from your very um, good explanation there, slash uh, cribbing from Wiki, <laughs> that's obviously given Atlantic's reticence to have that as a title they certainly didn't want to lean into the hell connotations apart from a sort of sly reference to it probably uh and that also would explain why in australia where as i said the album was released on albert recordings the original release of the album had a different cover so it's the same photograph of the band but superimposed on that were flames and uh, a picture of the, the neck of a bass guitar superimposed, looking a bit like, you know, um, fuck, what was it called? Guitar Hero. Like Yes. The, yeah, looking like that, basically. And it's a much, much better album cover. Does it also have um, a Vegemite? Um... Sandwich? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Just a tub of Vegemite in the corner. <laughs> Massive can of Foster's. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, another territory also had a, a, a um, different album cover to the to the main one, and that was uh, we've already mentioned the Iron Curtain a couple of times. East Germany, the design was much plainer because for some reason uh, the authorities weren't happy with the sleeve that was released elsewhere. I can't imagine why. <laughs> I mean, they've got no truck with with the devil, really. <laughs> That's fair, actually. That's, that's a good point. It's not as if it's an affront to communism. No, you know. In fact, you would have thought, in terms of who they're pro, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be less. They're going to be less less on the god side. <laughs> that's true. Who was in charge of the Soviet Union at this time? Seventy nine. So he'd still be Brezhnev. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he wasn't as bad as as Big Bad Joe. No, I mean, <laughs> whilst he wasn't great, he he didn't he didn't have the numbers Joe had. <laughs> he, he could not post the stats that Stanley. No, not even close. <laughs> not one to select in your fantasy dictators team. <laughs> this is taking a really weird turn. To I'm not sure if we're going to use any of that. Oh, we definitely are. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the album cover—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a bit—it's—it's it's a bit meh, I would say. Mm-hmm. Right, shall we get into it? Yeah, let's go. Okay, we open with, of course, the title track "Highway to Hell." Uh, it was released as a single, uh, the first single from the album, actually on the same day the album was released, twenty seventh July seventy nine. So, Angus, in the two thousand and three interview with Rolling Stone, Angus Young talked about how the song came about saying we were in Miami and we were flat broke. Malcolm and I were playing guitars in a rehearsal studio and I said, I think I have a good idea for an intro, which was the beginning of Highway to Hell. And he hopped on a drum kit and he banged out the beat for me. There was a guy in there working with us and he took the cassette we had it on home and gave it to his kid and his kid unraveled it. Bon was good at fixing broken cassettes and he pasted it back together. So at least we didn't lose the tune. Similarly, uh, Malcolm Young in Classic Rock said there were hundreds of riffs going down every day, but this one, we thought, 
that's good. It just stuck out like a dog's balls. <laughs> Could not be any more Australian. <laughs> No, it could not be anyone Australian. That's true. He's right, though. Yeah, I mean, it does. It's unmistakable, that opening riff, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's exactly what you want from DC, really. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mess about this song either. No. It, it gets you to the fireworks factory in exactly the amount of time you require. It, it, absolutely. Absolutely. And as... As soon as those drums kick in, as you said earlier, whatever you think of the songs, I defy anyone, anyone not to tap their feet along with the rhythm of this. Well, it's, it's as we have used this phrase before, it's hooky as fuck. It is hooky as fuck. Uh, and again, this is, this is, like I said, you can tell how hard Mutlang, Mutlang worked them here because they sound, I've gone with well-drilled, not the other word that we aren't going to use. Well-drilled, they sound... <laughs> So you definitely were using the uh, synonym finder. Oh, I absolutely was, yes. <laughs> it's a banger. Highway to Hell is an absolute banger. It's a classic. It's an all-time classic. It was great as the theme tune to SummerSlam 1998. Yeah, all good stuff. Yeah, there's there's nothing more to say about it. It, it is a belter. And to hear Vince McMahon continue to go and go, Austin, on the highway to hell, you're going to, you know, whatever. Um, you had me lots of money from Saudi. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, uh, that's that's very true. That's definitely getting cut. <laughs> although, no, it's not. Uh, although, <laughs> we're uh, not getting sued by Vince. <laughs> well, I, it, I, I, it could have been James Stewart, not Vince, because <laughs> that's very much what you sounded like. <laughs> oh, building a loan. <laughs> <laughs> it was me, Austin. It was me all along. <laughs> that was really good. I like that. You're fired! <laughs> I'm just going to do an, an hour of uh, Vince McMahon quotes in a Jimmy Stewart voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else to say on Highway to Hell other than it's fucking great? No. Okay, the girls got rhythm, Kev. So, right, it's got a really basic structure to it. Yep. But it absolutely works because, and again, this is testament to the hard work that's been put in. And particularly obviously how uh Mutley um <laughs> as has worked with uh Bon Scott because he sounds great here. Yes, he does. And yeah the the bands are absolutely cooking. Yeah, it's it sounds basic but it works and that that's what you want. I agree. So you said you said basic it what it is basic. It's the classic ACDC mold. Everything is built around that riff that kicks it off. The rhythm section propels everything forward. The song is about a, a, a woman who's too much to handle, which they, well, they revisited often. Really? <laughs> As you said, Bon Scott sounds fucking brilliant, and it's got an absolute face melter in it from from Angus Young. It's it's great. Um, yeah, you know, I've got I've got nothing else to say. Uh, one publication who disagreed was Smash Hits. Uh, <laughs> they said in their review, well, I'm lost for words. There's this absurd man screeching about all the girls he's seen all over the world and a riff that I think I've heard before. It was either 1974 or 1975. It wasn't the 1975, mate. They hadn't even been born by this time. You know, I was going to say something about the 1975, and I decided not to. <laughs> Just going to leave it. 
fine. Um, yeah, so smash hits weren't keen, but I am. Maybe it was Neil Tennant. <laughs> Did he write for Smash Hits? Yes, he was editor at Smash Hits before he gave he gave it Fuck up. Off. I swear to you, he gave it up to become to be in the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. Well, there you go. Now I bet Neil Tennant's banging to DC. I think I very much think. <laughs> We do need to do some Pet Shop Boys, Kev. Definitely. Yes, I, I really like him. So, yeah, I'll, yeah. Be, I'll be bang up. Maybe when we return to um, 80s Electro. Yep, good shout. Uh, I want to walk all over you, Kevin. Yeah. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on then, because you sounded a little bit, I'm going to be kind of say undecided as to your opinion of this. Okay. So it's all done perfectly well, mm-hmm. but I was a bit bored. However, until my face was melted. Oh, yeah. And then it was great. But I think because, and I did find, and obviously this is going to come through this album, and is the the 100 mile an hour pace, mm-hmm. um, things, can, things can start to blend into one. They can. But like what I'm saying, like whilst it kind of washed over me, this had a really good solo, so it it say it saved it from just being kind of album filler for for me. Okay, so I I agree. It, it's not a standout as the first two. It is a bit, yeah, it is a bit fillery. I like it quite a lot. I like the build. I like the the dirty riff that starts it off. Obviously, once it kicks in, yeah, it is very much the same as what you've just had on, on Girls Got Rhythm. I, there's, I'll come to your point in a minute. There's, there's something else I like about it, that being, I, I think, and obviously they had them on, on both of the first two tracks, but here they really stand out. As the, again, the choral backing vocals do stand out here. Uh, it was something that was new for DC on this album. It was another Mutt Lang introduction. I think they give the sound and they give the song some greater depth in, in the chorus. They give a canvas for Bon Scott to be Bon Scott mm-hmm. over the top of, if you know what I mean. So I do like that touch. To your point about the 100 mile an hour thing, things do blend into one. I, I get it completely, right? And this isn't a criticism of you or to denigrate what you said at all. But what I will say is, if you're coming to DC and looking for variety, then you're going to be disappointed. You just are. No. I... They are. What, and, and again, I know you know this. I don't know you like ACDC. But there may be some of our listeners who've listened to this and gone, it is just all the fucking same. Yes, it is. That's the point. They are unashamed in what they do. No, and I'm going on my reaction when listening listening to the albums. Like I un- obviously I know what I'm getting. I'm not expecting uh, Neil Hannon style wry lyrics. <laughs> what is with you and references to Neil? <laughs> we got a Neil Young reference coming up. Hey, wait until I throw in Neil from the Young Ones. <laughs> I would like to hear Brian Johnson singing a Neil Hannon penned song. <laughs> Particularly from, uh, not from uh, the Divine Comedy, but from his Duckworth Lewis project. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. You saying you weren't expect, you're not expecting uh, highbrow, ribald, you know, whimsy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting whimsy or anything like that, but there are moments and it happened it happened in both albums where there's a bit too much that's the same mm-hmm. 
and if you're fine with that, then then sound. If you want a little bit, not necessarily variety, but slightly different tempos, then for you. you're not getting it. <laughs> no. I will come back to that in a couple of weeks. Actually, what you've just said, no spoilers, but yeah, uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, no, I, so I, I I quite like it. I think I agree with everything you said. The solo is brilliant. I think Bon Scott sounds great again, but it is not as good as the first two tracks. Mm-hmm. Touch too much. Released as a single in January 1980, it got to number 29 in the UK, but number 13 in West Germany. So there was a 1977 recording of a song called Touch Too Much, which was the genesis of this, but it had very different words and a very different arrangement. That recording was uh, eventually released in 1997 when it was included as part of a box set of, of ACDC sort of rarities, basically, that they released. It was the last song they performed on television. Um, They played it on Top of the Pops on the 7th of February 1980, just 12 days before Bon Scott's death. BBC4 repeated that episode of Top of the Pops on the 19th of February 2015, which was the 35th anniversary of Bon Scott's death. And I'm going to say, I think this is a really odd choice as a single. Don't get me wrong, it is, so to continue exactly what you've just said, it's a perfectly good ACDC song. And that is possibly slightly damning it with faint praise. But again, it's not a standout for me. There are much better songs on this album, such as the next one, for example. <laughs> I just, I don't dislike it. It just, this, like, exactly what you just said about Walk All Over You, I felt about Touch Too Much. It's fine. It's not a standout. Why release it as a single? So I can understand why it was released as a single because I think more so than certainly the previous song. I think the the chorus and you like obviously the work again that Mutt Lang's done on there. It it does have it does have a hook. It is it is memorable, and the way the way it is belted out and the way it comes back in. The, there is something to it. I know what you're saying. That it is, it is kind of um, again DC by numbers. Yeah. But I think it has got a bit like it has got a bit more than that. And I like I like the it opens with a slightly different tempo. Mm, it does. Yeah, it does. And that I found helpful. Okay. So are you saying you prefer it to walk all over you? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Again, I don't dislike it. I just, um, it, yeah, DC by numbers, I think, is a really good a really good way of saying it. But again, as I said, if you come into ACDC for variety, you ain't going to get it. So no. maybe I should stop complaining. <laughs> uh, I am going to stop complaining because we close side one, for those listening on vinyl, with Beating Around the Bush. And I fucking love Beating Around the Bush. Your dive bar. Yeah, it's an absolute banger. I mean, first thing I've got to say is, yes, the guitar riff is entirely nicked off Fleetwood Max. Oh, well, we all get that. Fine. Okay. But it's still great. So listening to this, every time I kind of imagined, like, not a stadium or anything like that, a dirty, dirty bar in the south of America, there's a scrap going on, there's chairs flying and the band... Sweaty. Yeah, it's sweaty, it's dirty, like the floor's dead sticky. But you stay there till four in the morning and have the best night of your life. Yeah. And, you know, it's... Yeah, it is exactly that. 
that feeling that you kind of come to this band for. Definitely. It's this has got it's got the energy of things like Let There Be Rock, Whole Lot of Rosie. Uh it's yeah, exactly what this is exactly why I come to ACDC. It makes absolutely no apologies for what it is. It's fast, it's furious, it's frenzied. This is one to listen to at full volume with your fucking hair on fire. <laughs> it is. And it's the sort of song which I have to say, guys, this may be a controversial statement. They recorded a lot less frequently after Brian Johnson joined the band. That's not to criticise the work they did with Brian Johnson in the band, but this is very much a Bon Scott era ACDC song. Mm-hmm. It's a song that you expect to finish and a chair to fly across and hit you in the head. <laughs> a f- chair that's on fire. <laughs> across. It's like With someone still sat on it. <laughs> it's like so that, that that episode of The Simpsons where it's like a future thing and Lisa's the president and Bart's in a band and him and Nelson are playing in a dive bar and there's a laser net <laughs> on the stage to protect them from it. that's the sort of place <laughs> nice uh, tick well and, and in fact the sort of bar that Beaten Around the Bush will be played live in uh, one might even get shot down in flames Kev <laughs> segway <laughs> subtle <laughs> yeah thank you what do you think it's fine. So you know you know it's DC. Yep. And it's a perfectly good song, but I think that's down to the charisma of Bon Scott and his voice and Angus Young's brilliance. I think if if you didn't have those elements, then this would have absolutely nothing um to it. I I agree. Although there's a point to that saying if it didn't have those elements, it wouldn't be an ACDC song. So, but I, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I agree. It, it, it is fine. I quite like it. It's nowhere near a standout. The riff at the start's really good, but the mm-hmm. song quickly, doesn't go anywhere. No, it doesn't go anywhere. This so compared to beating on the bush, certainly is quite a bit more pared back, and it starts to sound more like where they were going from Back in Black. Mm-hmm. Some of the tracks on Back in Black, certainly. I mean, it's not a slow number. It's fucking ACDC, but you know what I mean? It's, there is, there, yeah, to me, yeah. there's a pitch shift starting to happen. So I agree with, very much with what you've said there. Um, last thing I want to say, what the fuck is that noise at the end? <laughs> don't know. It's like Bon Scott doing an impression of Uni from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> oh! Yeah! <laughs> It's weird. Or he's doing he's doing an impression of Cyril Sneer. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Was Cyril Sneer the old one or the son? The nerdy I think son? the son. Was it Cedric's? I thought Cedric Sneer maybe was, the, Cedric. was the nerdy son. Yeah, maybe Cedric was the nerdy one. Yeah, Cyril was the old, the Logan Roy. <laughs> Am I the first person ever to compare Cyril Sneer to Logan Roy? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of podcasts knocking about, so... <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine that there's a raccoon's uh, succession crossover. Say, Kev, if, if any of the litany of podcasts that feature middle-aged white men are having raccoons chat as top quality as this, then I need to listen to them. 
look, we, I mean, we are we are definitely hitting our hitting our core base numbers in the last few weeks because, like, we've done Banana Man um, recently. <laughs> Get it hot. So again, this is another one to me, which sounds a lot more like ACDC of the eighties than it does ACDC of the mid to late seventies. It's a lot less raw than pretty much everything you had on side one. But I really like it. The chorus is a real earworm. So that's the that's the thing. So I will read my notes. Um, even though this isn't massively different from what's gone before, I really like this, and I don't know why. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's it, it, again. It's hooky as fuck. Because like, if you compare this between Shot Down in Flames, which I'm going, it's fine. It's all right. Like it's not hugely different, but nope. there's something about it that <laughs> yep. that like is is really it grabs you. And that's I suppose that's the thing with bands like ACDC when you're not when when it, everything is going to be somewhat one paced. When you've got a hook there, you know it and, and you respond to it. And this is an example of that. Obviously, the, the title track is is a massive example of that. Yeah, it's I I, I like it. I, only other thing I want to say and. and this just seemed an appropriate point to say, although it applies to the whole album, uh, as it does to the album we're going to do in a couple of weeks. I really want to praise the work of Phil Rudd on drums and Cliff Williams on bass. Yeah, they are they are under underappreciated, and they keep everything ticking along. Yep, they are the metronome. They provide the glue that holds everything together. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. Okay, Kev, if you want blood, you've got it, my friend. That's not a bad intro, is it? I fucking love this tune. As I said, it's one of the songs that got me into ACDC because it's on the soundtrack to Empire Records. As he said, that riff is just glorious. And we've praised him enough times already, but my God, Bon Scott sounds incredible on this. Well, the the harmonies on the chorus, they they are really, really good. It, they are really good. Again, it's another one where you can hear where you can hear how much Mutt Lang has, has, has drilled them. And mm-hmm. if this is the one where he did say to Bon Scott, you know, breathe, coordinate your breathing, get yourself into a rhythm, it fucking worked. It's absolutely. Again, you could you could look at it alongside anything on this album and go, well, "What's different?" I don't know what's different, but this has got that everything coming together. It's fucking furious. It's relentless. So I have. A, tortu- a tortuous analogy because you know that I love one. <laughs> so I think DC are like Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. <laughs> Go on. And I'll tell you for why. So they have a way of playing. And when it works, it's absolutely perfect and gets you. But if it doesn't break down the Mourinho like, um, then. It all kind of falls apart, and interesting. Interesting. So I, I would say actually that ACDC are po- possibly more like Mourinho's Inter. They are very meat and potatoes, and if no. you like meat and potatoes, then there's a lot here for you. No, it, it's it's more that there is no there is no plan B. There is no plan B. <laughs> there is no there is no lumping it long to Ibrahimovic. There's no sticking David James on up front for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, that's a, no, I, 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 I know what you mean. 
I know what you mean. And this is one where everyone's on it. Yeah, this there's lovely guitar work from Iniesta. <laughs> <laughs> and his brother Xavi pulling the strings. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could continue this analogy if you want, but let's like, not. no, let's, let's not. not. <laughs> so, um, we both like if you want blood, you got it a lot. Yes. yes. So, just to, just 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 one thing. So, it's the title is borrowed from, as I said, the live album that they released the previous year, and it came. It was taken. It came from a um, an interview that Bon Scott was giving to a journalist when they were playing at the Day at the Green Festival in 1978. He was asked what could they expect from ACDC, and Bon Scott's answer was blood. <laughs> but again, which is, you know, it's A, to, to, to come up one word, have an album and a song off the back of it, fair play. But actually, that speaks to their work ethic. We'll leave it yeah. all out on the stage for you. Absolutely. You're getting, you're, getting a, you're getting our blood, sweat, and tears. You are getting yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Okay, Kev, I'm a love hungry man. So we've praised the bass work for ticking ticking things along. There's a lovely bass line in oh, this. Oh, yeah, it is lovely. Like, Funky as fuck. You yeah, can't expect to say that for ACDC. Yeah, it, can, it comes out of nowhere and you're like, oh, hello. Yep. Ooh. And again, it sounds like them. But I don't know if the bombast has been turned down a notch just enough for it to be a little bit different. And I really like it for that. I agree, and I think the solo similarly is just a little bit less frenzied than mm-hmm. your your average Angus solo, but it's none the worse for it. It's magnificent, actually. Some more great vocals from, from Bon Scott. So, one person who disagrees with us, Kevin, is uh, one Angus Young, Esquire. So, in a 1998 interview with Q magazine... When he was asked what's the worst record he'd ever made, Angus replied, there's a song on Highway to Hell called Love Hungry Man, which I must have written after a bad night of pizza. You can blame me for that. Nah, that's well Ash Angus, lad. I like this. No, it's it's not a bad song at all. Not at all. Shall we move on to the closer? Yes, we should. Mm, Okay, so Night Prowler is the last song on the album. And it is undoubtedly the most contentious, infamous song on the album. That is mainly due to its association with the serial killer Richard Ramirez, uh, who was found guilty of more than 15 brutal murders, uh, also numerous rapes and attempted murders in Los Angeles. Uh, His nickname was the Night Stalker. Uh, He was a fan of ACDC. Uh, It's alleged that this was his favourite ACDC song. Uh, police. I mean, that's on he... brand for him. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say for him or for them? I, I said for him. Yeah, indeed. Police claimed he'd left an ACDC hat at one of the crime scenes. Um, anyway, that trial in 1985 bought quite a lot of bad publicity for ACDC, whose concerts and albums faced protest by parents in LA. I mean, it's not like white America to go into moral panic over something uh, contentious in the arts, is it, Kevin? No, I mean, it, it's certainly not like uh, white America to blame art for uh, horrific things that happen in their culture. Indeed. On the ACDC episode of VH1's Behind the Music, 
uh, Fate wore a cummerbund of suspense. Um, <laughs> uh, the band maintained the song had been given a murderous connotation purely by Ramirez, but it's actually about a boy sneaking into his girlfriend's bedroom at night while her parents are, are asleep. I mean, firstly, that's still creepy as fuck, yeah. guys. That's Don't say that as justification for the song. But exactly, come on. Can I quote a line from the song, please? Yes, go on. And you don't feel the steel till it's hanging out your back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's proper CD, the opening. I mean, it's... the only the only songs that I think that potentially have maybe a CD opening would be possibly nightclubbing or um, I can't remember off um, non-stop erotic um, cabaret. Any of them, <laughs> well, yeah, like because they're all really seedy, and it's perfect for the song. And Bon Scott's performance—I mean, he sounds like a pure pred. It does. It really does. Suspended animation as I slip into your room. Yeah. So, okay, clearly their excuses for what the song was about—I mean, don't make it any better. But it's just bollocks. That is not to say, obviously. The ACDC is in any way responsible for Richard Ramirez's crimes. And as we've just said, white America uses plenty of excuses it can to divert away from its own failings as a society. Uh, and there was plenty of other stimuli for impressionable minds in the late 70s, early 80s. So well, let's just told, get out of the way. If you told the truth, it's will will fall apart. <laughs> well, Exactly. Uh, we need to do some more Manics, by the way. Mm-hmm. I really like Night Prowler. Sorry. Yes, the lyrics are quite problematic and they do not stand the test of time. But it, no, it's really good in terms of it. So again, it's not really what you kind of expect from DC because nope. it's a there's it's not nuanced, but you you are being put into a character. And the viewpoint of someone who is a night prowler, a stalker, a yep. potential murderer. And it's done really well. Absolutely. Like, Again, the sound is obviously very different. And as you said, there's no nuance to it. But, you know, Nick Cave's made a fucking career off doing songs like this. Let's be honest. What is it about the Aussies? <laughs> <laughs> Put your convicts, mate. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Please note, I did not say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I did. (laughs) I apologise to our Australian listeners. (laughs) It's, it's, yeah, it is. It's a really menacing sound to this, uh, which is to its credit. I like it. I think, and I think it's a really good way to close the album, actually, and especially an album called Highway to Hell. You know, Highway to Hell. Your ending, the destination is a dark place. Well, yeah. The highway has taken you to the point where you've met the night prowler. Um, Indeed. So yeah, it's 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 not a heaven. It's not a stairway to heaven. It very much is not a stairway to heaven. Although speaking of the heavens, that's another good segue there. The final words spoken by Bon Scott in this song and therefore on the album are "Shazbot Nanu Nanu." Where are they taken from? <laughs> Well, there you go. I did, I'd like. Do you know what? I didn't pick pick that up. But yeah, he's basically used a quote from Mork and Mindy uh, um, from Robert Williams in Mork and Mindy at the end of the album. Yeah, which which is very unlike the rest of that song. 
Yes, it is indeed. Uh, and I also just wanted to talk about Morecambe Mindy because it was good. It was it was good. Um, and obviously launched Robin Williams and that was not a bad thing at all. Didn't quite launch Pam Dorber in the same way, but she was very good in the series. Yeah, you know, she was fine. Anyway, anyway, speaking of uh, American sitcoms of the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, I, uh, having mockingly referred to the Billy Joel song Piano Man as the theme tune to Cheers the other week, that's inspired me to start re-watching Cheers. Uh, it's really good. I mean, some episodes have not stood the test of time, let's say, uh, but it's really good. Well, yeah, because Ted Danson's character is... Quite sleazy. He's a, he's a proper sleaze. I, I can't remember, like, I seem to recall from watching it, is the the quality very much dips when Kirsty Alley comes in? I'm not there yet. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not into the Kirsty Alley. I mean, fucking Kelsey Grammer hasn't showed up yet. So, um, but yeah, Jesus, no. yeah, quite. Right, we're done with Highway to Hell. Shall I do some reviews? I think you should. Okay. Uh, so again, no nobby guys. So there's just a couple I want to go through. First, and both of our retrospective actually. The first being from Greg Cott uh, in his 2003 review of a remastered release of the album for Rolling Stone. He said, when Bon Scott leered Lock Up Your Daughter, Lock Up Your Wife, Lock Up Your Back Door on ACDC's North American debut album High Voltage, he wasn't so much issuing a threat as celebrating his inalienable right to be crass. ACDC showed how much fun true tastelessness could be and how liberating it could sound. These Australian delinquents played their bloodshot blues rock with the venom of punk rockers and the swagger of drunken lechers. The songs are more compact, the chorus is flattened by rugby team harmonies. Biash. The prize moment, Scott closes the hip-grinding shot down in flames with a cackle worthy of the Wicked Witch of the West. No, Greg, it's uni from Dungeons and Dragons. We've already said that. <laughs> I can't disagree with very much he said there. I'm not no, sure it's... I agree with the rugby team harmonies thing, but, you know. It, it, it is largely fair, that, though. Mm-hmm. And I would like to read... Actually, I'd like to read it in full, if I may. It's not too long. Uh, the ever-reliable Stephen Thomas Erwine for all music. Uh, his review of the album. If of I course. So... Of course, Highway to Hell is the final album ACDC recorded with Bon Scott, the lead singer who provided the group with a fair share of its signature sleaze. Just months after its release, Scott literally parted himself to death, the official cause cited as acute alcohol poisoning, after a night of drinking, a rock and roll fatality that took no imagination to predict. In light of his passing, it's hard not to see Highway to Hell as a last testament of sorts, being that it was his last work and all, and if Scott was going to go out in a blaze of glory, this certainly was the way to do it. This is a veritable rogues gallery of deviance, from cheerfully clumsy sex talk and drinking anthems to general outlandish behaviour. It's tempting to say that Scott might have been prescient about his end. To see the title track as ominous in the wake of his death, trying to spill it all out on paper, but it's more accurate to say that the ride had just gotten very fast and very wild for ACDC, and he was simply flying high. After all, it wasn't just Scott who'd reached a new peak on Highway to Hell, so did the Young Brothers, crafting their monster riffs into full-fledged, undeniable songs. This is their best set of songs yet, from the incessant, intoxicating boogie of Girls Got Rhythm, to If You Want Blood, You've Got It. 
Some of the credit should also go to Mutt Lang, who gives the album a precision and magnitude that the Vander and Young LPs lacked in their grimy charm. Filtered through Mutt's mixing board, ACDC has never sounded so enormous, and they've never had such great songs, and they never had delivered an album as singularly bone-crunching or classic as this until then. Yet again, he just nails it. He does nail it, and that's why I wanted to read that in, in full. Um, because it's just excellent. Okay. Shall I do some legacy? Yes. Okay, there's not, again, there's not a load, but there's a little bit. So, Highway to Hell was the first of ACDC's albums to break the top 100 of the Billboard 200 chart in the States. As I said, it got to number 17. It propelled the band into the top ranks of, of, of rock acts at the time, and still today, you would say. It is their second highest selling album obviously behind back in black and it is generally considered one of the best hard rock albums ever made uh, eddie van halen noted it to be his favorite acdc album in fact in 2008 in a cover story for rolling stone david frick noted that super producer mutt lang sculpted acdc's rough granite rock into chart smart boogie on this album all music have called the highway to hell the song one of rock's all-time great anthems in 2013, ACDC fans Stevie Diamond and John Mortar, who was one of the people behind the campaign that got Rage Against the Machines Killing in the Name to Christmas number one, they spearheaded a campaign to make Highway to Hell a Christmas number one to celebrate the 40th, 40th anniversary excuse me, of ACDC and to prevent Simon Cowell and the X Factor getting another number one. The campaign raised funds for a testicular cancer charity. And whilst it didn't get to number one, it did get to number four on the official singles chart for Christmas of that year, which makes it ACDC's first ever top 10 single in the UK. And then just briefly to finish off, I guess, they went straight back into the studio in 1980 to start work on their seventh album, Back in Black. But then tragedy struck. Uh, so as I mentioned, on the 19th of February, 1980, Bon Scott, he'd been out drinking for the night, he was uh, being taken back to the apartment with one of his friends, Alistair Kinnear, passed out in the car on the way back. He'd been at the music machine in Camden, I say he'd had a lot of alcohol, allegedly taken a lot of drugs as well. According to Alistair Kinnear, uh, he tried to, to wake Bon Scott up when he got back to his home, but couldn't move him, couldn't arouse him. Arouse him? Goodness me. I'm not, not making any suggestions there. <laughs> couldn't rouse him um, so he left him there overnight to sleep off the effects of the alcohol woke him uh, went back to the car the next day uh, still couldn't wake him up on the 20th of february uh, so he rushed him to king's college hospital in london whereupon he was pronounced dead on arrival um pulmonary aspiration of vomit was cited as the cause of scott's death uh you can't dust for vomit so no one knows if it was his own vomit or someone else's <laughs> <laughs> the official cause was listed as we said earlier as acute alcohol poisoning following his death acdc briefly considered splitting up uh but bon scott's parents insisted he would have wanted them to carry on so they decided to continue and decided to find a new vocalist and I think I will allow you. That's where I will pick up there. the story in two weeks' time. Exactly that. So the only thing I want to add to to legacy, um, which doesn't cover Back in Black, would be that 
the uh, title song from the album has become one of the most requested funeral songs. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Is it played before or after Chris Rea's Road to Hell? <laughs> okay, should we do best song, worst song? Yeah, let's do it. Right, okay. Uh, you first, Kev. What is your best song? What is your worst song from Highway to Hell? So there's some really good stuff on it, and we've talked about it, and there's lo- there's loads of things that I can praise on this album, but the best song on here is quite clearly Highway to Hell because it's a classic. And I can't... I know it's Johnny Obvious, but I can't argue with that. And worst song... Is probably shot down in flames because it's it's meh. Okay, so I've got two different choices. Uh, I'm not going to be Johnny Obvious. Uh, I want to give a special mention to Beating Around the Bush because I just love how grimy it is. But I've got to pick If You Want Blood, You Got It. I just I, Something about that song gets me going every time. Yes, you're right. Highway to Hell is an absolute classic. And this is perhaps me making a hipster choice. If you can make a hipster choice of ACDC songs, <laughs> uh, but what's, I love what's, it. A, what's an ACDC hipster? What someone who like <laughs> only has one patch on his uh, stonewashed <laughs> denim jacket? Uh, anyway, I'm going to ignore that. And just, no, <laughs> if you want blood, you got it. I love it. It's great. So that's my best. My worst. Yeah, I can understand why I've gone with Shot Down in Flames, but I'm going to go with the other one in that sort of mid-album lull, uh, Touch Too Much. To me, it's I don't dislike it. I like every track on this album, but it's the most flaccid compared to the rest of the album. Okay. Did not arouse Tim. <laughs> no, it did not. It was not a touch too much for me. It was a touch too little. <laughs> um, I think there we are. Kev. Yeah, there we are. So, just remind the boys and girls, what you're going to be taking through in a couple of weeks' time. So I will be going through the absolutely colossal selling um, Back in Black, and obviously with a new singer. Uh, Yes, indeed, with a new singer. Looking forward to that very much. Before then, however, Kevin, uh, it's your time to shine. Well, not that you haven't shone thus far (laughs) on the pod. I do apologise. What, pray tell, has been going on in the world of the internet recently? So I have something which I'm going to save for next week because I think it's a belter. So I will. So basically, Tim sent me a story today. Um, <laughs> it's where, terrifying. Where, yeah, basically Skynet is going to happen. So if you aren't aware of it, so it was um, it came out sort of today, uh, so the 2nd of June, where a Colonel Tucker Hamilton. I mean, why are they always like called Tucker? Awesome. Chief of AI Test and Operations in the US Air Force, when speaking at a conference organized by the Royal Aeronautical Society, said that an AI-enabled drone was repeatedly stopped from completing its task of destroying surface-to-air missile sites by its human operator. So in the end, the drone, despite being trained not to kill the operator, destroyed the communication tower so the operator could no longer communicate with it. Because the human operator was preventing it from completing its primary objective. Exactly as all of those fucking... Te- like, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. For fuck's sake, people. 
There is over half a century of science fiction telling you this is what happens with AI. Okay, so one thing is for certain. The, there is no stopping them. The robots will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. <laughs> yes. I'd like to remind them, as a trusted podcast personality, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground lithium caves. <laughs> robot house! <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well done. And if you don't, if you don't know, I for one, um, then clearly, oh come on, of your Simpsons knowledge, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, well, and uh, so if in the brief time that humans have left on this planet, how can they keep in touch with what we do on the socials? So you can and find... and fall into your traps. You may round them up to present them to our new robot AI overlords. So you can um, you can find out about human uh, human existence. Uh, soon demise via a, a platform that is currently demising um, you can find us on twitter at clash album if you like carefully curated quality content you can go to our insta at clash album or if you are one of um, our future ai overlords then please uh, let us know what i need to do to uh, retain my position um, and I'll dob in anyone you want. Uh, send that to albumclash at gmail.com. Uh, before we get into you turning the word demise into a fucking verb, <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to remind our new AI masters that on our recent David Bowie Never Let Me Down episode, I turned to chat gpt to give me inspiration for the clash and in no way ever anywhere in the recording did we question the integrity veracity or accuracy of the information that chat gpt had imparted that's so not true it was pure slagging you off <laughs> <laughs> oh right i'm gonna leave it there proper rap behavior <laughs> <laughs> bad grass you <laughs> Oh dear, shall we go? Yeah, I think I think it's probably the point to leave this. Okay, well, listen, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you could share it with uh, other artificial intelligence uh, beings that may be out there, uh, and you can allow Album Class to promulgate the Matrix, that would be wonderful. Uh, actually, we would very much appreciate that. Yeah, leave your ratings, leave your reviews, uh, share it with your friends, tell them to listen to it. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back with more ACDC in a couple of weeks. Until then, I have been Timothy and I am the Night Prowler. And I have been Kev and 01011100. Cheers, fellas. <laughs> See you in a couple of weeks, guys. Take care. Ta-da.